Welcome to Three Boys in a Bar, your weekly film and whiskey review podcast. Join us each week as we review a film and a whiskey. You can follow us on Instagram at Three Boys in a Bar, or send us an email with your own film reviews and whiskey recommendations. Three Boys in a Bar at gmail.com. Now, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome again to another episode of Three Boys in a Bar. Um, my name is Tom Minotti, and with me I have Will Atkinson. Hi. And Marco Mitchell. Hey, everyone. Hey, guys. How are you going? Good. Very yeah. good. Yeah, excellent. It's great to be back. So, Marco, I believe this um, this week's episode was a film of your choice, um, and I believe it is called Escape from Pretoria. That is correct. So, Escape from Pretoria is a film about two white South Africans imprisoned for working on behalf of the African National Congress, um, determined to escape from the notorious white man's Roban Island Pretoria prison in South Africa during apartheid. So, yeah, it was quite a... It's a, a film that I've wanted to watch and I've been hearing quite a bit about from my co-workers because it was actually filmed in South Australia. And some people that I've worked with in the past obviously went crossed uh, state boundaries well before <laughs> our current situation and yeah. worked on it. So I was quite excited to hear that it was actually uh, it was available in video on demand and they haven't delayed it to a theatre release later in the year. So obviously snapped at the opportunity to to share this with everybody. And um, yeah, so starring Daniel Radcliffe as Tim Jenkin, um, Daniel Weber as Stephen Lee. And written and directed by an English writer-director called Francis Anan. It's actually his, once again, it's his feature debut, which seems to be a bit of a trend for films that we seem to be watching. Writing theme, yep. But, um, yeah, um, and I quite enjoyed this film. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you think, Will? Yeah, I think uh, before I get into my thoughts on the film, it's just interesting because, of course, we are... I don't know whether we're in the middle of COVID, coming out of COVID, who really knows, but this is one of those films that was probably going to be slated for a cinematic release, but has gone straight to streaming services for rental um, in lieu of having that theatrical release. So this is the first one um, that I've seen that probably would have been in a cinema under normal circumstances. So um, I don't know. I, I think there are going to be quite a few more films who, which fall into this category. So for anyone listening, make sure that you check out and support um, the film industries and the studios who are going to be releasing a lot more films like this obviously over the next couple of months um, but yeah my thoughts on the film um, yeah look it's basically your stock standard prison escape film but I don't say that um, certainly negatively at all I thought this movie kept me on the edge of my seat for most of it so um, I was a really really big big fan and I thought the pacing of it was really intelligent and smart so that the so much of the movie is dedicated to these suspenseful um, sequences that really follow our main leads trying to escape this prison so uh, obviously set against the background of apartheid um, uh, but really it is a escape film but it's done really, really cleverly and without all your usual high tech. So set in, I think, 1978. So, you know, long before CCTV or automatic gates and doors. Um, basically, it's old school, old school prison set up and guards marching along walls with sniper rifles. So uh, I did love its lo-fi kind of quality to that. 
but really intelligent, smart storytelling, suspenseful work, and great performances to boot. So that's my short, sharp review, I guess. Tom? Yeah, I entirely agree. This movie is first and foremost a prison movie, mm. prison break movie, and um, that was the strongest element of that film, and I loved it. The se- there were some great sequences. Um, there was some fantastic moments of tension, um, and it just kept you hooked throughout. But I have to say that maybe like the first 15 to 20 minutes of that film, I was not invested. Um, I think the whole political element of the story didn't really work. It was, um, I think the, the dialogue was a little bit clunky. Um, and it, but once you actually, once they were actually in the prison and the story Mm. became more about devising the escape, which I believe was with the assistance of some really in-depth, um, uh, details provided by Tim Jenkin, who was a consultant on the story. Um, the director, the writers and the director were able to sort of really bring that to life quite well. Um, yeah, I must, I, I too, totally agree. I was surprised that this film was entirely filmed in South Australia, that the Pretoria prison itself is the old Adelaide jail. Oh, wow. Um, and it's a, and I just think they did a fantastic job redesigning the exteriors to make it look like something of apartheid South Africa. Mm. Um, Like personally, I think there's only one shot in the whole film that I think is undeniably Australia, (laughs) (laughs) but it's fine because. And if you didn't, I I think I would have still, I don't know. Hard call to make, I think. Hard call to make. I think I know the shot you're thinking of, but I was willing to forgive it. Um, there's something I find really exciting about Australian films shot in Australia trying to um, trying to capture the essence of a culture or a location outside of Australia. So what comes to mind, for example, is Killer Elite, which I think was shot partly in Melbourne, and that was supposed to be like um, scenes in London. Uh-huh. Scenes supposed to be set in London. Mm-hmm. Um, Predestination. I think one of our yeah. one of the producers on this movie was a producer of Predestination. That would be Gary Hamilton. Um, was meant to be filmed. I think it's set in the US, um, but that was also filmed in Melbourne. Uh-huh. So, um, so score one for the Australian film industry. Totally. So love love the idea of being able to recraft um, exteriors set in Australia, and making it look like it's somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I have total support for that. Let's get in, well. Let's get into the nuts and bolts. So maybe I'll just pick up on um, something you just said about the first fifteen and twenty minutes of the film. So uh, that kind of gives us the underpinnings of what our main characters are fighting against in apartheid South Africa um, mm. as as white men who are supporting the ANC. So I'm curious to ask or to know if w- without that and without that as as really the reason why that they need to escape so they can get back to, you know, this cause, uh, also to their families. But, you know, it is at the heart a prison escape film, but without the, I guess, the moral underpinnings or the motivation to escape, you would we kind of be invested? So we need that, that initial, what they're fighting for and who they are before they go inside so we know what they're fighting for, right? Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, Tom, if you think it could have been better executed or whether, like, do you know what I mean? In terms yeah. of, like, without that, it's just a prison escape film. No, no, I, I totally understand mm. that. I think 
Um, you, you definitely needed to have the cause. Mm. And the cause is so important because you find in the film that there are actually um, differences of opinion as to how that cause should be best fought mm. between the different characters in the prison. Mm. So I, I, I'm, mm. I'm not saying anything against that. What I am saying, though, is that I felt the writing, the dialogue, the expression of that, of those political yeah. ideas were not were a little bit on the nose and they and they yeah. were not there was not not a lot of nuance to the dialogue yeah i thought particularly the judge the yeah. when they're in the court scene i thought yeah and, and well, see, so, yeah. Uh, with that scene in particular I, I wonder if that's taken from court documents and just like performed verbatim mm-hmm. or if they've actually tried to dramatize it a little bit and failed so whether or not that's actually a failing of the dialogue or the performance itself to not bring whatever was there I'm not quite sure but mm. um, I thought that opening sequence was great I, I thought that the the tension of what they were doing at the very start was really well played because especially when you're coming in cold to a film you don't really you know these guys are supposed to be the good guys but what they're doing is you you can't quite you don't really know exactly what they're doing until mm. they've done it and you're I not agree, sure yeah. exactly what the motivations are up until mm. that point, mm-hmm. which I thought was phenomenal. It was almost a little uh, like a twist in morality of what they're doing, especially given, a, I guess, the current climate where if someone leaves a suspicious package somewhere, mm-hmm. usually mm-hmm. it's quite nefarious. Yeah, I'm not going to go into too much detail. Sure, sure. Doing, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, for that, for me, that absolutely worked. I I was invested from that point. I was completely invested in these characters I agree I actually think that that opening sequence where there isn't any dialogue but like that opening sequence is really smart because the suspense is created right from the start and so obviously it's a different kind of setup once we're inside the prison but that not knowing are they going to get away with it or not is right there from the opening shot and that Mm. yeah absolutely grabbed me and it also sets up a couple of other important things it shows it plays on that um without trying to go into too much de- detail, but you think that they're going to do something that's quite atrocious, mm. but then they don't. But then, you know, it twists, it takes a twist on that. And then you're sort of, and so it changes the audience's perspective on the characters, the way you're introduced to them. You also understand that the, the characters have ingenuity in the mm. way that they, they fight their cause, which means that when they ultimately go to the prison, it makes mm. sense that they're the ones that come up with the plan to ultimately escape. Yeah, so absolutely. The opening scene was was excellent in those regards. My only issue with it, with it was that I wish they did a bit more showing, not telling. Mm. True. I mean, I think there's a there's a limit to how much you can show in a courtroom when you're trying to establish who these people are, especially as as you've said the the introduction scene has no dialogue. We don't know mm. we don't know exactly who these people are and what they stand for apart from their actions. So I think that the the courtroom scene, while I agree it's it is a little dry and it is a little slow, I think it's that's probably the most character building that we get in a very short space of time, barring having narration or inner monologue or any of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think we we can sort of agree to disagree <laughs> in a, in a lot of ways there. Mm. What about the sequence though? And I'm just trying to remember whether it was right at the start or after you know, this first scene that we're talking about where we get the, what I think are real news pictures from the time. So there's this bit of scene setting that goes along with some narration from mm. Daniel Radcliffe's character. Um, I think that's right at the top of the movie, no? Yes. Um, so, yeah. We, yeah, so we get shown 
maybe 90 seconds, two minutes worth of, um, yeah, old newsreels of this apartheid South Africa. So it's, you know, relatively graphic in terms of, of how, um, you know, the black Africans were being treated by the white people, you know, that's basically it. So, um, and there is the narration, um, yeah, by, by Tim, well, you know, Daniel Radcliffe's character. So, yeah, I thought that and then the actual opening scene of the film, yeah, took us there and, but yes, this movie comes alive when we're in the, when we're in the jail for sure. Although one thing I have to, I absolutely have to mention is the beautiful change in aspect ratio from the sort of archive footage mm where it's in the 4-3 letterbox, which mm. it's very hard to describe, but it's, you know, when there's the black bars on the left and right of the screen and the image is only in essentially a square in the centre. Mm. And then the transition to full cinematic, what I assume was scope, I didn't really look into it exactly because I was too invested in the rest of the <laughs> film, but into what we're used to seeing in full width cinematography. And I thought that that transition is something that I quite, I love mm. watching. I mean... Seeing stuff in four, like cinema in four three these days, is very rare. Something like the Lighthouse was shot entirely in four three, which was phenomenal, and it's a very different style and it has a very different look. But the blending of the archival footage to mm. Daniel Radcliffe on mm. the street about to do whatever he's going to do, I thought was actually quite a nice transition that I loved. Cool. Mm. Yeah. From a technical standpoint. So moving inside the prison now, mm. what did we think about the escape plan? I mean, the the process that the that everything sort of went through to get them out out the door, essentially. In terms, I mean, when you're talking about prison break films, we're talking about you know old school stuff. So it's like we'll mention: there's no cameras, there's no like alarms as such. It's all individual whistles and mm. klaxons that and all that sort of thing did you go were you guys gripped by that like was it did you enjoy the process that they went through to escape and did you find it fulfilling tom yeah absolutely i think it was really inventive um i i, I really enjoyed how really it was a, it was ultimately over probably a year 15 months that they were planning for this escape and it was a and I just I found it just really fascinating the the steps that they took and you sort of get you sort of see it at the very start of the movie as they're introduced into the prison and each room as they walk through into their ultimate ultimately to their jail cells so you're already established it already establishes for you how far deep in the prison they are how they have to escape mm. and then it each scene after that mm. is just about how they're working through um, each room working their way back out mm. um, and I just thought it was a, there were some really clever really clever ideas and once you sort of once they established those ideas then seeing it come into execution I, I, I didn't I didn't um, have any qualms about those those sequences like I said I think the producers were really clever to just focus to make this fundamentally a prison break movie Mm. Mm, absolutely uh, I personally loved how they did the whole Chekhov's gun style thing with elements I mean Chekhov's gun is basically if you show a gun at the start of the film mm. you've got to use it by the end of it that's the basic principle and um, in this case it's stuff like a mechanism for a door or the locks on the way through mm. or the guard patterns and or like even a mug mm. 
things like that that are set up to be important right at the start of the film and then they become important later I think is was really well set up and not on the nose which a lot of these sort mm. of Chekhov gun style things can be really like too obvious in like this is going to be important and shoving it down your throat mm. whereas I thought this was great yeah mm. yeah and look I think you know pretty early on I was thinking about what I think is the ultimate prison break film Shawshank Redemption yeah, and I yeah. thought it's really hard to watch now anything because that's such an iconic f- film for so many different reasons um and look, not not that this film was trying to replicate that at all, but I thought everything that I loved about Shawshank in terms of just, again, this kind of lo-fi, how are we going to get out of here, and that moral determination or will that is driving the characters, um, and the patience and the willingness to try, and that, that again, how the cinema... Um, how the writing really crafted the suspense for these really small moments. So one of my favourite moments is when um, Daniel Radcliffe's character is testing out a means to escape and uh, it involves a broomstick and some chewing gum. And this sequence runs for a couple of minutes and it's just, you're mm. on the edge of your seat. And, and I'm just like, yeah. And it's not even part of the main prison break. It's just, it's just the thing. And I was like... Just how it was crafted and all put together was was so slick's probably not the, quite the right word, but I just I really dug it and it really reminded me of the the joyous suspense and that that moments in Shawshank do, and I think that that's what I love about these sorts of films is that you're sitting in this place of tension, um, and you really don't know whether and and it's literally a stick, a broomstick, and some gum, and you're like. This feels like totally life and death. Like and I'm totally invested totally. In, in this gum and broomstick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think that, that again, it, it comes back to, you know, great writing. You know, it's captured really well and super great performances. And then even the aftermath of, um, of that little sequence and what Daniel Radcliffe re- kind of reveals in his character is actually, yeah, it's a, just a beautiful bookend to that whole part of the film where... You know, as a even as an audience, you're like taking these deep breaths because it's over, and you're just like, I mean, I could have been sweating. I don't think I was, but I was like, oh, what? like I mean, it just really, really gripped me. And I just, I think, yeah, I, I, you know, it wasn't happening. There wasn't these moments where I was like, nah, that that's too unreal. And because it's all based on a true story, and I'm reminded of that saying, you know, truth can be stranger than fiction. It's just extraordinary what this guy and what what the two others all did to escape a prison it's extraordinary and it didn't need and it, and it didn't need to delve into being like being um super sophisticated and clever like a prison break episode mm. it was actually it was actually you know the really simple practicalities of um finding a way out of the prison mm. and it was like like that broomstick mm. and the chewing gum oh. and the way that the the way that the camera just lingers on that um, on trying to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely kind of getting anxious again yeah, yeah. thinking about it. I'm like, oh, absolutely yeah. excruciating. That, scene. yeah. But then you know, when they have their small victories, you absolutely, oh. you're absolutely rooting for them. Totally, and it is. Mm. But like, it's interesting that you mentioned something like Prison Break because this, in in essence, the plan is very simple. Mm. Mm. It is the probably the simplest Prison Break plan that you could write. 
and but clearly it's true and it's funny how the absolute simplest thing back in times before <laughs> prison break was you know perhaps a little bit more complicated yeah. it, it, it's just keys like you know keys it's the most important thing in any sort of prison it's just it's the most ridiculous mm. thing I've ever heard but the fact that it's truth I think makes it even more poignant mm. at how ridiculous it is that this actually happened yeah and it's amazing absolutely ingenious amazing mm. yeah the other thing as well is that it's one of the really tricky things about making a film of, of this kind is you need to have a number of obstacles before you know your protagonists ultimately achieve the goal mm. and so the, the issue with being in a confined space like a prison is having to figure out a number of different obstacles mm. that can come up mm. and or different sort of uh, circumstances that um, create tension and drama and what I what I thought was really good was how they were able to come up with different ways of making of like they were able to come up with different con like different um, scenarios in which tension was created mm. and that's a really difficult thing to do in, in a movie like this especially yeah pr prison I mean prison tension it's like oh the guard could find you at any time but like the way that that's crafted I completely exactly. agree with you. I think that it never feels stale that they're doing the same thing over and over again mm. or the same stuff that you've kind of seen in a whole lot of other Prison Break films. Because, I mean, there's no doubt that Prison Breaks have been done before. Mm. Prison Break films have been done before. But I think that it, this doesn't feel stale. It doesn't feel rehashed. Mm. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be anything more than what it is. Mm. And I just think it's extraordinary that it's... Yeah, it's absolutely true. And that there were these people who are you know and they're so representative of so many people of that movement who are willing to put their life on the line to keep fighting the cause and yeah that only adds to the dramatic storytelling of the piece and Tom I think you're right in terms of those obstacles throughout the movie um, you know they're important to have to to keep building that tension and to keep us you know engaged as an audience I think the guards um, and how they worked you know really just when you thought you know they kind of kind of got a break something would happen and it's like oh yeah this could be the th this could be it this could be it and it, it maybe was and maybe wasn't but it would just kind of build there as well and yeah i thought it was yeah super smart really really smart mm. Mm. And i've got to say i i have to commend daniel radcliffe for this film because i i love his choices as an actor mm. post mm. harry potter because i mean he is a bankable star like almost, um, maybe not everything that he's worked on since Harry Potter has been well received but I personally love him as an actor I think he always does well in anything that he's in and like the stuff that he hasn't the fact that he hasn't gone back to a big studio Hollywood film again it's uh, like I love it I mean the fact that he's done things like Horns Swiss Army Man Jungle I mean these things are not your typical Hollywood blockbuster or even just widely marketable films they're these smaller independent things in quotes smaller because some of them may be a lot bigger than others but still he has interesting choices rather than your stock standard mm. like Joe Blow that's in every other film so I and he always turns it up although maybe his South African accent is a little bit sketchy hard accent hard yeah, accent hard. And Tom, you even said after we finished watching the film, you had mad props for Leo after Blood Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, it's a very it, it just sounds like a really hard accent 
um, to master, especially if you are a British actor. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe because this was shot in Australia with so many, you know, Australian actors, it's more closer. Like my ear was kind of tuned in a little bit, and I, I don't know because I've never had to do a South African accent. That maybe it's easier coming from an Aussie rather than the British. I don't know, but it's it's of a particular style and. I think to all our ears if it's not on it's really kind of obvious do you know what I mean so yeah. well just like I, there are a number of voiceovers done by Daniel Radcliffe throughout the film which I think are really actually quite good I'm usually not a fan of that internal monologue or mm. narrator kind of style but I think generally it's quite good the only thing that wasn't quite good about it was I think his accent dropped worse in the voiceovers than he did in the in the actual character itself maybe that's just to my ear mm. but it was a, that was probably the most jarring thing because not only do you get the narration over the top which is already a, a filmmaking trope that is difficult to pull off well in my opinion but then to have the accent pull you out even further for me was a li that was probably the most jarring part and it was only maybe it was just one word mm. maybe it was just like a couple of words here and there but that was that sucked me out just enough but thankfully, the performances and the story and attention just brought me right back in, which was mm. phenomenal. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think um, it wasn't just Daniel Radcliffe. I think there were other actors who who slipped a little bit. Um, well, like trying, like, like yeah. Will says, I mean, difficult yeah, accent, right? Very difficult. Yeah, and look, yeah, I, I'm always you know on two sides of this fence when when we start getting into this kind of detail because, like, absolutely, I think it's up for critique and and observation. Um, and you know it comes down to I guess your personal preference or viewing experience. It's I think once my ear was tuned in, I was I was sort of in there that yeah, like I I don't think maybe the best way to describe it is I don't think I would mark this any less for those things, even though I was also aware of them. Do you know what I mean? Like um, yeah, for for me, not not only because of the technical difficulty of doing them, just yeah, I think once you're in there, um, into the story, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just basically like, whatevs, they did a great job. <laughs> That's all I got. Well, I mean, the, the film lent, lent, like, you know, authenticity to, yeah. you know, it was, it felt like a, it, it felt like a very authentic, it felt very authentic. I believed yeah. everything that I watched. Um, yeah. I mean, accents aside, or you know, or even some of the even some of the writing, I was still absorbed, and I thought mm. I thought the sequences were well sh were well shot. Um, some really great music, actually. Did mm. were you listening to the music? There was some really great like um, plucking strings in the background that was also helped to create tension. Um, Maybe I feel like a less is more approach. Like yeah, it's yeah, so, yeah. it was pretty subtle for me. Yeah, mm. that's the thing though. It didn't. It didn't. Um, it, it wasn't um, I think there was the movie just did what it set out to do mm. and it did it competently and yeah I, and it I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel no but yeah I agree with that but I think we also have to talk about the Australian actors that were in this film at least in the the leader the leading roles I mean with um, Daniel Webber playing Stephen Lee obviously from the film Tim's Accomplice um, and then eventually later on Leonard Fontaine a Frenchman who was also detained um, played by Mark Leonard Winter um, I must say I've never worked with these guys before I haven't particularly followed their careers but I thought they were great I genuinely didn't realize that uh, Mark Winter was Australian um, 
and from his character from his from yeah. his character yeah, yeah 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 because he plays that like that kind of I want to say sassy but sassy is not the right word Frenchman mm. who has the attitude and helps them through thing who are like I believe was it you were saying that he's actually an amalgamation of other characters he didn't actually yeah. exist no he's a fictional character um, but he um, apparently was an amalgamation of several inmates at the time Tim Jenkin and um, Stephen Lee were in prison hmm which it, like it's a typical storytelling thing, especially when it's a true story, because you can't necessarily. I mean, if we'd spent the time introducing all of the characters that Leonard Fontaine was supposed to be, it would have been a four-hour <laughs> yeah, film, yeah, yeah, and yeah. everyone would be well and truly bored by the end. But I, I thought the Australian actors, the the main mm. two Australian actors in that film, were phenomenal. I think they did a really good job alongside mm. Daniel Radcliffe, who is undoubtedly the star. Mm. But yeah, but yeah, and look. Yeah, I think with having someone like Daniel Radcliffe in a film, I mean, for me, he's done a remarkable job, as you alluded to, Marco, that since leaving the Harry Potter franchise, he's done an extraordinary array of work. So even though he's so well-known in one regard, I'm not conscious of watching Harry Potter doing a prison movie. Do you know what I mean? Or prison break movie. And I think he always seems to be a really committed um you know actor so i don't i I don't feel like he falls out or relies on uh previous kinds of he's not a an actor that i see doing a lot of the same kind of you know mannerisms or i don't think he has a particular style do you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. i feel like every time i watch him i'm seeing him exploring something new so he leaves behind the whole Harry Potter thing. And um, and yeah, so there's no ego star thing around him. So with these other Australian actors and with this, you know, the, the UK writer and director, it felt like a seamless kind of amalgamation of actors, creatives, so that nobody was one particular star or... You know, yes, he's he's a name and bankable and, and absolutely attached to a film project like this, so it can, you know, go out there and and you know hopefully return its money. But yeah, I'm not taken out of the picture because it's Daniel Radcliffe and he's doing a Prison Break film and he's <laughs> now a South African. You know, I, I and I so I, I really appreciate his kind of work for that, and it means that these other plays, these other actors can be a part of that, and it feels like an ensemble, a very small ensemble film. Um, because of that having spent so much of his life uh, his adolescence as Harry Potter Mm. I totally agree with you Will that um, it's really great to see Daniel Radcliffe um, taking risks and trying his hand at projects um, that he probably wouldn't have Mm. Um, I think it's I think it's just really fantastic and just touching on what you were saying before Marco about the Australian talent um, I thought Daniel Webber did a fantastic job and Mark Leonard Winter was excellent um, uh, comic relief as Leonard Fontaine. Um, I also just want to shout out quickly the two supporting Australian actors, Nathan Page as the prison guard, prison guard Mongo and also Grant Pyro as Captain Schnappel. There is a particularly good scene with Grant Pyro mm. um, opposite Daniel Radcliffe in his jail cell, um, which I think is one of my favourite scenes of that movie. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, I have to say, um, I have heard nothing but good things from the Australian industry about Daniel Radcliffe. Um, 
I have some friends that actually worked with him on Jungle, and <laughs> so apparently they filmed. They were supposed to film part of this in, in story time with Marco. Um, <laughs> they were supposed to film half of this. In, 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 <laughs> 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 Thanks, Will. Anyway, this film Jungle, they were supposed to film half of it in Colombia and then half of it in Queensland. Um, and basically, they were really worried about him getting kidnapped because you know Colombia is not exactly the safest place in the world. So there was no social media, no photos of him, no nothing. It was all supposed to be really clandestine and that sort of thing. He goes to the airport. It was it was a massive thing for production because it was very expensive to split production and that sort of thing. Um, he gets there, gets to the airport. A fan recognizes him and asks to take a photo. He goes up and takes the photo with the fan day one, and. <laughs> And then I think it was le less than a week <laughs> later. It was all over the news, the tabloids. Everyone knew that he was in Colombia. So they shut down production, had to bring it all to Australia, which is a double-edged sword. Production obviously wasn't very happy about it, but Australia got an entire film instead of just half a film shot here. So, yeah. Yay. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Cast me next time. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe we'll just take a pause because this wouldn't be Three Boys in a Bar without talking about... That was hopefully going to be more dramatic. Um, whiskey! Just, just, just So what have you got for us today, Will? All right. So knowing that we were going to watch a film made in Australia, and actually we've done pretty well, considering I think thanks to COVID, a lot of our choices so far on the podcast have been... Either, either Aussie films or films shot in Australia. So I've once again gone with an Australian whiskey. So this is produced by a distillery right here in Melbourne, Australia called Starwood. So Starwood have been around for a little while. I mean, certainly um, they're totally kind of new world, like knots, like your yeah, Irish or your yeah, Scottish, you know, dynasties of whiskies. But um, uh, basically they, they're pretty like new kids on the block. Um, in terms of how they do things. So I first came across them a few years ago and have loved them ever since. So this one is the Starwood Nova. So it's a single malt and it uses barley um, from Australian breweries. And then it's matured in red wine barrels for three years. So Australia is known for producing some very good red wines. So this goes into barrels that are still wet. So they've just had the wine taken out in goes the whiskey and it sits in there for three years to produce this delicious, delicious goodness. So enough talking, go go in with some, some smelling and some tasting. Well, I've got to say, I think right off the bat, you can smell the red wine off yeah. this. Like we, we talked to, uh, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago that we're saying, what would you use to describe this without using the word whiskey? <laughs> and, um, yeah, red, red wine is definitely one of the smells on that mm. comes straight out of the glass. Mm. Tom? I really, I love this taste. I would say it has like a sweet um, honey texture to begin with. And I reckon that sort of follows through into a, like a licorice finish. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. See, I, I find I don't get the licorice so much. I, I get more of a sweetness mm. going down. I don't know if that's just I get me. like chocolatey. I think that may be this kind of a vanilla-y spicy... It could be the spice, yeah. Yeah. So I think I'd describe it more like a berry of some kind, maybe like a, a dark cherry. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Right, right at the back as it as it goes down. But it's a beautiful, beautiful, smooth drop. Thank you so much for bringing this. Yeah, oh, thanks, Will. That's all right. Um, and apparently, look, I I did a 
quick Google, and apparently it won double gold medal at the San Francisco World Spirits. So I have no idea what year that is, but um, yeah, so it's won some stuff. So, you know, can't be all bad. So anyway, that is the Starwood Single Malt Nova matured in red wine barrels. Check it out. Great. Great. Thank you. Well, thanks, Will. Finish us off. The obvious segment is giving our scores for the film. So I think we've just heard a bit from Will. So Tom, what do you? What were you? How did you score this film? This was a hard one um, for me to score because um, I, I, I would, as I'd say, look, I think as this was first and foremost a Prison Break movie, they did it well. I don't think I don't think it. I wouldn't say it necessarily um, broke boundaries. Um, but it did a really they did a really good job with everything. I thought I thought the performances were fantastic. I think the African accent is a very difficult one to master. Um, so I was willing to forgive any possible uh, discrepancies. Um, I think the writing, like clearly the most the the best the best writing came from the actual prison break scenes itself. It was what was not said mm. in the film. I felt the dialogue was just a little bit. Um, unrealistic um, or maybe it was just too on the nose or too um, uh, overt to try and progress plot and trying to keep the movie moving so from the writing side of things I'm going to give it a 3 performance I'm also going to give a 3 um, technical side of things I thought there was a we had a fantastic um, I, I really enjoyed the score in the background I thought the crew did a really good job with those external shots to try and make it appear to be um, uh, South Africa from the 1970s. Everything from the cars to the parking meters in that opening mm. scene. Mm -hmm. um, I was really impressed with that detail, um, that attention to detail that they put in those scenes in particular. I thought Adelaide Jail was a really, was a perfect place to film a prison break movie of this sort. So in terms of set design locations, I thought the film, uh, the film work from Jeffrey, the camera work from Jeffrey Hall was excellent. Um, Nick Fenton's editing was also very good. Um, I'm going to give that a three and a half. And then finally, I am going to give the direction a three. I think um, Francis Anand did a great job. I hear that he now has a, a an agent in the United States for him to pursue his next projects. Um, um, so I, I will give his direct the direction a three. Um, before I before I give my before I give you the score, uh, which is a twelve and a half. All right, I've given it now. I'll move on. Um, <laughs> I just want to say that um, this was a really a, a great example of a um, UK Australian co-production, um, and I think everyone did a really great job. And I would recommend it as a watch. Marco, what did you think? Great. Well, uh, much like you, I, I gave the story a three. I thought it, like you've said, it. It doesn't break any new ground, but it, it is serviceable to the truth. I mean, to what happened. I mean, I'm mm. sure it's dramatised in some ways, but it it felt like this could have happened, and obviously it actually did. So a three from me. Uh, performances were a four. I thought Daniel Radcliffe did a very good job, as he normally does, and the supporting Australian cast of Daniel Weber and Mark Leonard Winter were phenomenal. Um, direction of three, I mean, it's middle of the road I guess but um, like he did a good job um, there's Francis Anand for a first outing 
did a phenomenal job, but what he worked with I don't think was particularly complicated in a lot of ways. Um, from a technical standpoint, I gave it a four. Uh, I thought the cinematography was great. I thought a lot of the, the little tricky shots like rotating lenses and that sort of thing um, were really quite good, like following the keys and then also using like split diopters to have really two different things in focus at any given time was really quite good for like to be able to see the reactions of whoever you wanted to look at and see what was important rather than pulling focus which is often what people prefer to do um so jeffrey hall um who i've worked with in the past phenomenal work it looks fantastic um yeah so that gives me a final score of 14 out of 20 will nice well i think i'll keep this short and sharp because my points all line up with yours pretty much the same. So story, I'm giving a three. Technical, a 3.5. Direction, a 3.5. And performances, a 3.5. But I must say, I was oscillating all the time because I could mark them up, mark them down. It was just, it was super hard to know which way, um, way to go. Because it, it's a great film and it really kept me on my edge. And then when I was trying to categorize it, I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't that good. But I mean, it's an absolute watch for me, I think. Again, particularly during COVID times, this is going to pay dividends for a night watching, um, you know, in front of your screens. So mm -hmm. absolutely watch it. Um, what does that give me a total of? Gosh, uh, what did I say? Maths. Three for story, three and a half for technical, three and a half for direction, three and a half for performance. Is that what I said? So that's seven. 13.5. 13.5. Thank you, Tom. Well, yeah, well, I didn't say it before, but it's definitely a watch from me, even though, unfortunately, I think the price tag is a little bit expensive. Um, it, I, I understand why it has to be, um, but I would say don't let that put you off. Uh, we watched it through Apple TV, and it was fourteen ninety nine um, to rent just for two days. So quite expensive for a single product, but given the times, it is absolutely worth it. Absolutely. And also because a lot of that money is going back into the Australian film and television yeah. industry. Exactly. Which doesn't have a lot of money at the best of times, let alone right now, which is, look, it's not dead in the water, but I mean, yeah, it is what it is. Mm. And it's always exciting to see um, a, a film, an Australian co-production, um, you know, taking the sort of risks when they make a, a genre-based film like this. Great. Mm. So next week, uh, I believe it is Tom's Choice for film so what have you got in store for us next week yeah um i've look i've actually got i've got a list i've got a watch list at home um and it's it's always really difficult to pick the one that i that i think we should review for the next episode so i've decided to settle on the lovebirds so this movie was destined to headline the south by southwest film festival this year but um because of the virus it got cancelled so it's now gone to release on Netflix. So I reckon we should try that one out and see what we think. Nice. Sounds pretty good to me. And Marco, you're on Whiskey Duties again. Yeah, well, I'm actually going to dip into the Glenfiddich Experimental Series with the, the Fire and Cane. So look out for that. All right. Get yourself a bottle. <laughs> or three. Well, <laughs> if you like it. <laughs> Why not? One each. <laughs> we don't profit from this. <laughs> I think we say that every week. <laughs> we really don't. Spot sponsorship pending. Yeah, that's right. Totally. Well, thank you very much for joining us on another episode of Three Boys in a Bar. I've been Marco. And this is Tom. 
And I've been Will again. So join, <laughs> join, a, join us next week. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, you can hit us up on Instagram at Three Boys in a Bar. That is the number three boys in a bar. And Three Boys in a Bar at gmail.com for any other recommendations of whiskies we should try or films that we should watch. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Three Boys in a Bar. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Instagram at Three Boys in a Bar or send us your own whiskey and film recommendations to threeboysinabar at gmail.com. Stay tuned for a spoiler cast if we have one happening this week. Otherwise, we'll catch you next time. Thank you.